before we get started on today, I just wanted to remind you to please leave a rating and review on the podcast app or the iTunes app if you are using an iPhone. It really helps spread the word and it helps other people find this podcast a lot easier the more good ratings and reviews we have. So if you're a fan, please, please, please take a minute and just do that. It would be so helpful. Thank you. Hi, I'm Shelby Schlang-Berrigan, and this is Living Over Losing, unfiltered and unrestrained. Hello, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am so, so, so excited to have Rebecca Scritchfield on the show. I'm a little starstruck, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Rebecca is a well-being coach, registered dietitian, nutritionist, a certified health and fitness specialist. She's the author of Body Kindness, Transform Your Health from the Inside Out and Never Say Diet Again. She is the host of the Body Kindness podcast and has appeared on over 100 media outlets, including NBC, CNN, The Today Show, The Washington Post, Shape Magazine, and many others. So I'm super excited to have you. Rebecca, you're full of knowledge. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Awesome. So I guess the first thing that we can do to get started, which is, you know, the, t- the typical kind of like share a little bit about you and a little bit about your story and how you ended up writing Body Kindness, how you ended up where you are today, helping others, helping clients. Where did that all start? Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a long story. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would say it is as per typical. So whether or not we actually know the stats that um, by, I think it's 80 some percent of 10 year olds have tried at least one diet and then Mm -hmm. by 15, most of us say we hate our bodies. And, you know, the truth of it is in that time we do, it is developmentally appropriate where we become hyper aware, like, do I have a wedgie? (gasps) Did that cute boy see me pick my wedgie? Right? Like where we become hypersensitive and, and we can be critical of ourselves. But when we take a look at our upbringing in the homes, when we take a look at culture, like we really actually have to really protect ourselves from negative body image because of the messages that we receive. And we're picking up on those messages by one year old. So as soon as one, that is the earliest that we have been able to detect that the learning brain is really trying to grasp senses around what's happening. So we're picking up on words in our homes and our communities, and then we get into preschool and even in our schools. And so things that people, adults might think are harmless actually can impact um, kids. And so at any rate, I, I started dieting somewhere around nine or 10 and, uh, it was related to body image concerns and comparing myself to classmates. I was an early bloomer and I think that had some, something to do with it sort of, um, but also trying to get along with friends who were all about, um, you know, we should try to lose weight. Okay. (laughs) Um, and then it was reinforced in the home where, uh, you know, which was really interesting in the home is that we also grew up low socioeconomic status. So there's a lot of misinformation about, um, you know, that people with low SCS wouldn't have an eating disorder, right? That it's, you know, a rich white teenage girls disease. And actually, as you know, eating disorders don't discriminate on any of those parameters. Um, and, and so we had this issue where we'd have moments of food insecurity and then moments of like when we had money and we'd have more food around, but it certainly wasn't always 
it certainly wasn't whole foods high quality, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that there was a lack of understanding, um, good nutrition. The timing was very interesting as well because it was all late eighties, the nineties, which was a fat free craze. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't matter how processed the food was. If it was fat free, it was cool. And so, um, what was I actually think it's harder now to differentiate between what's diet culture and not though. Um, it was easier when it was like, can a slim fast? Okay. That is bad. Right. (laughs) Um, but at any rate, um, my big struggle was I thought that I was doing healthy things by reading the magazines, by following what was being said in the magazines, but then lamenting that I was never going to look like the people in the magazines. Um, But I still kind of called it, well, this is about health. Like it was really twisted um, in my mind that, you know, exercising to these videos that it's, it's a mixed emotion. Like I actually have fond memories of doing some exercises to these workout videos that were just on like free television that I had at home and they were fun. Right. But when I recently went back to YouTube to watch one of my heroes who was on them, his name was uh, Galad Janklowitz. And I watched this like 30th anniversary of him doing another workout video. And it made me laugh because I instantly was transported back to like being 16 years old. But even when you watch it, it's like, yeah, tight toned arms, tight toned tush. And so these things were put in my mind. And then I became a fitness instructor. It helped put myself through college doing it. But I'm sitting there like with my professors and fellow students saying like abs of steel, buns of steel, and just going along with the culture thinking it was healthy. Um, And, you know, I never was diagnosed with the eating disorder. And I don't know if I ever could have been. I didn't have health care, so that I think that's part of it. We lacked mental and physical health care growing up. But um, but what I had was definitely messed up. And what was also really messed up about it is I was often congratulated for my like hard work and dedication. And I identify as one of those bodies where, you know, I, I don't identify as fat. I don't identify as thin. I really just, I don't really know where I fit. But w- even when I was restrictive and in diet mode, I never really lost weight and I'd exercise and I'd put on muscle. So people just saw it. They saw it as health and reinforced this idea that what I was doing was healthy. And I was like, I remember kind of being like, why don't I feel so good? Like in my mood. And I, and I was in my mind hearing these intense negative thoughts, but not telling anyone else them. And so it just, it kind of continued on in college. I mean, getting distracted by studying was really helpful because I did care about like getting, getting my degrees and doing well in school. So that, you know, academics became an interest for me to pursue, but it still kind of went back to, um, health is about your weight and it's about how you look. And that really didn't change for me all through changing careers into nutrition, all through becoming an exercise physiologist, never change. Those fields still uphold a thin ideal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was a new dietitian and working with clients on quote weight management, healthy weight management is what I called it, right? Healthy weight management, uh, which is nothing. Don't ever, don't ever use that run far away from anyone who is using that. Um, but anyway, I, I realized, you know, here I was, I was getting more into running. I was actually training for marath- a marathon and I was trying to do South Beach on it and like couldn't have a strawberry, but I could have all the ricotta cheese I wanted. And basically, you know, 
binge-like behavior, right? Just sort of, you know, restrict, restrict, oh, I'm starving, eat a lot in one sitting. And like, as long as it met that, you know, like the fat-free craze, if it's fat-free, it's for me. Okay, on South Beach, sugar is now the problem. Um, and, And so it didn't matter what I knew academically. I was kind of convinced that to kind of prove myself in running, I needed to get a certain time and I was gonna need to lose weight to do that. And this, and the same thing with clients, like I would, I would give them like the structured balanced eating, but also I was not doing intuitive eating and we were calorie counting. I was doing basically the super early version of what eventually became a Fitbit, but like super early. Um, I was giving that as like a device that they would wear on their bodies. I'd be like, I'm watching you. And, um, and I thought, I thought it was helpful. They thought I was being helpful and we were all in this system. And what ended up, actually waking me up. It wasn't one thing, but it was a mix of three. And that is me realizing this is silly that I'm training for a marathon and not eating strawberries. And you're supposed to be the expert now and you still don't know kind of like you need to heal your relationship with food yourself. So Mm -hmm. that's number one. Number two, real, like having clients who are like, you know, exercising and and eating well and, and, and doing all the things, right? Checking off all the things off the list, but it's like the scale wouldn't budge and then, it, you know, crying, oh, it's because I had pizza on Thursday night and da-da-da and friend was in town. It's just like, whoa, this is a lot of suffering and I can really relate to this suffering. And it was like, the scale is the problem. And, and what was interesting is that it's clients who were like at a variety of weights, including higher weights. And so if you saw them on the street, our culture would say, oh no, that's not a marathoner. Like, you know, like Mm -hmm. they wouldn't pick out some of my clients in a lineup as, oh, I bet this person takes care of themselves. And that's a real problem. That's a problem of weight stigma. Um, And then the third thing was actually my, um, my mom had some health complications happen, which I talk a little bit about in body kindness. And somebody said, I wish you would have said that in the beginning because it made me relate to you so bad. But it was just that um, she dealt with health issues that I actually blame on dieting because she had restricted and and binged and kind of hid an undiagnosed eating disorder for years. And that led to health issues in the future. And all those things happened around the same time. And I was like, look at what I've been trying to do since nine. And I have all these degrees and I am still screwing it up. And I was like this, I cannot do this anymore. And, um, a couple things happened, but what, what, what really helped is I ended up going to this place in Vermont. It's called Green Mountain at Fox Run. And it's a, it ha- it's a women's wellness retreat. And they now actually have a, a binge eating disorder, like daytime program that you can do as well. That wasn't around when I went, but um, I reached out to the owner. I was like, I'm a new dietitian. I'd love to do social media for you. Um, and can I do the program? <laughs> and so I, I went there and I was there for a week and you know, I learned about intuitive eating. I learned about mindfulness. I learned about connecting to your body. Um, I learned what it felt like to move for joy and not punishment. And, um, and, and the owner, Marsha Hudnall, a fellow dietitian, sat me down and said, you know, you need to learn about this concept called health at every size, which is the idea that you pursue health in a meaningful way, in a way that works for you, but you stop trying to control your body. And that led to me joining ASDA, which is Association for Size Diversity and Health, which came up with health at every size and, and I'm still a member. I'm actually on the board presently. Um, and it just, it was a lot of years of learning and growing. Cause that was, that was back in 2007. So we're now at 2000, what, 18. And, yeah. um, and, and the book basically came out through all of that. It, and, um, I had to learn and grow though in my, 
with myself and also with clients. So it, it took a number of years. I really kind of started to get put the ideas together around 2014 and, um, and wrote most of it in 2015. And then it came out in January, 2017. Wow. Awesome. Okay. That's a, that's a lot. That's a long <laughs> ramble for you. Any other yeah, questions? No, no. I wrote some things down. Cause okay, so, okay. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Cause I actually, um, I never went, I never did my dietetics internship and I never got my license, but mm-hmm. I, my undergrad was in dietitian, like dietetics. Um, mm-hmm. that's what I got my bachelor's in. Cool. So, but I, and so I'm not sure, like, I, I, I feel like some people that get into the get into the that field that are kind of like struggling it's just kind of like a like for me I thought oh I'll get into this field because I'm already doing this anyways so why not just make it my major you know what I mean like I'm already dieting anyways I'm already obsessed with this (laughs) I'll get good grades (laughs) yeah like so all this is perfect um and it's also it's funny too because I learned in there you know about like a balanced diet and and things and you know we I think we spent like a day on eating disorders but Mm-hmm. We pretty much learned like yeah. what yeah, like what you're supposed to eat and blah blah blah. So I and I remember telling other people that, like in my undergrad and internships and stuff, or even like friends would be like, Oh, you're a nutritionist, will you help me do this? And I would give them like this whole perfect little thing and maybe not even like a meal plan, but just tips on how to, you know, eat and but make sure that you're eating balanced and don't restrict because blah blah blah. But I wasn't doing that at all. So I think it's so interesting that like I knew what was right, but I still couldn't force myself to do that. Like I didn't, even though I knew it was right, I didn't believe that it was right for me. And even though I was telling other people like don't restrict because this is going to backfire, I was restricting. So it's like, Mm. it's just so, it's so hard to finally just like come to the realization of. I'm doing this, like, I'm doing this wrong. You know what I mean? Because you're, I guess you're, because you're scared. Oh, yeah. I mean, shoot, fear. Fear is, look, fear is a, is a a very important emotion. Um, And, you know, it's an opportunity where we can, you know, face everything or we can run away from everything. And um, there is also a, a powerful phrase. I forget. I know it was in a book I read, but um, it's fe- feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, that's actually the name of the book. But I remember thinking, oh yeah, that you know, that's permission to feel your emotions. And certainly in the research that I did for body kindness, and and I really delved into the scientific literature around positive psychology, which is a whole field you know, of study of psychology that says, it's kind of like, instead of focusing on trying to, of having all these problems, trying to fix what's broken, what if we talk about how to pursue meaning and purpose in life? Um, And it's not to deny that there are problems, but it's more about how can we look at our framing of things that help us find more positive emotion and more meaning in life. And, uh, looking at that for me was really, really helpful. Um, because they talk a lot about the benefits of positive emotions and negative emotions. And, um, it would be a normal response to feel fear when you're sort of at that, that kind of rock bottom moment, right. And you have reasons to change and maybe get better. And you have reasons not to change and stay the same. Um, And, you know, um, 
the word we for that is ambivalence. You know, it's like on the one hand this, on the other hand that. And especially as we're always thinking things and we've got that disorder voice in our head, um, we have to really pay attention to the kind of person we want to be, right? Which I call the inner caregiver voice. Mm -hmm. Find that voice and connect to that voice. And it would be normal to feel fear, but if we can connect to that caregiver voice, we can actually choose the direction we want to go despite that negative feelings that we're having and the fears that we're having. And by doing that, we will actually eventually feel the fear subside. Um, And at the same time, know and trust that caregiving, that kind voice that we're trying to listen to that, that will help us through, um, our journeys. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really, it's a lot. It's interesting. Um, the process is, it is, it is very complicated. So I'm interested to know about your, like your version when you went to school and you learned and you got your diet, your dietitian license. Um, mm-hmm. How did you take like what you learned in school, but then also, because I know there are some dietitians that are like still on the diet train and on the calorie counting and the cottage cheese and all all that. So how did you kind of like mold what you knew from school and then mold what you do from your own experiences into kind of like your philosophy now? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Well, you know, I think... So what what I find interesting about sort of this space that we're in right now is that um, our our current diet culture, right, it is, even though people are like at least being more vocal about we should love ourselves no matter what we look like, you know, Diet culture will say, oh, well, this is about wellness. This is about health and this is about wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, and people reject the idea of diets because they don't work and we have science behind that. And, oh, well, well, this is about being strong, you know, find your strength, right? So now it was like not just no body fat, but no body fat and muscles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it kind of, it gets worse and it morphs because at the end of the day, the dieting industry is very powerful and it's upheld by money. And so it just, it takes a different form, right? I did, I recently did a couple of social media posts. It was really just some jokes, but it's gotten some of my best likes ever. And it was like, um, if you failed your diet plan, just by the way you take your coffee, run far and fast because you shouldn't be on that. And I was talking about like whole 30 where you couldn't have cream and sugar with your coffee. Um, and then another one is something like, Oh, I'm sorry. You can't have beans on your salad. This is not, oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like these things, it's like, so my point of it is, is it's getting more and more insidious, this idea of health and wellness is actually like, well, in the book, I talk about diets in disguise. That's exactly what it is. It's kind of like, okay, you know, this isn't your mother's Weight Watchers. This isn't, you know, this isn't Slim Fast anymore. This isn't those Snackwell's diet cookies. Um, but it is still a diet culture because it it is now, it's in a lot of ways, it like hijacks, right? That quote, what we learned in school for nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, so just take something like my plate, right? Like 
I, there, it's well researched the idea of having a balanced plate, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I am a fan of vegetables. I love vegetables, Mm -hmm. right? Um, but you know, the idea that we say that we can tell a person's health by the way they look is actually weight stigma and weight stigma is actually worse for a person's health. Um, you know, it, it increases the chance of them even avoiding doctor's appointments or, you know, that people get mistreated. Like it's, it's, it's broken. And so as long as we're afraid of, you know, whether it's gaining weight ourselves or, you know, you know, becoming fat and the word fat is a bad thing, or as long as we other people who are maybe naturally genetically at their higher weight, you know, as long as we're othering that and saying that's undesirable and that's something that, you know, like, I don't think that's healthy, there will always be a diet culture. And so what what we need to be broadening our horizons on is the idea of what diet culture now is really, really doing. Um, you know, and, and, and so the, you know, the, the way that this dovetails into body kindness and what I learned in school is like, sure. Like you learn in school about, you know, something like my plate or what you would do, you learn medical nutrition therapy, right? So what you would do with someone with diabetes, what you would do with someone with high blood pressure. And you would hear over and again about how quote weight management was helpful, this and that you actually look at current, you know, um, research stats, right, that, that it's actually the behavioral changes. So ch- things people can control and we can't control our weight. Our weight is a response and it might not respond in the way that we think calories in and calories out. But when you can choose movement and what's going to help you with movement, right, consistent exercise that feels good to you. Not that you're going to be like, woo, doing cartwheels on your way into the workout, right? I can't wait to run today. Mm-hmm. But you might say, you know what? I put aside this time to run and I'm not feeling it quite well. So I'll do a jog walk, but at least I'm moving my body and letting that being good enough instead of skipping. Um, or looking at the time you have available, knowing that you know, exercise is important to you, but outside of weight and appearance, right? You know, I want to have strong muscles and, you know, I want to travel when I'm older and travel now. And I, you know, I want to take care of this body and I know exercise is part of it, but you know, body kindness would be a flexible version of it. So it's not, it doesn't have to be intense. Um, but you know, you embrace it as a consistent part of how you take care of yourself. Maybe how you notice it helps you sleep and notice your mood changes. And so, so these are the things that body kindness would embrace. It's not a size. It's about meaningful actions that you can take and that you personally feel good about. And so looping it back into food, right? I mean, absolutely. I'm not going to ignore any amount of science that talks about you know, plant-based, right? And I talk about that in body kindness, you know, but there's also flexible plates, like, whereas not every meal has to be about nutrition. So I think I say like, you know, not picture it as eating whatever the F you want, right? Yeah. Because, you know, it, and, and that is not a cheat meal or whatever the diet industry would call it. Um, but, you know, a recent example for me, um, we have uh, this, we get um, uh, Hungry Harvest. I think I talk about it in the book too a little bit, but it's um, it's ugly produce to reduce food waste and it gets delivered to you. And every box you get, they deliver 
to a local family in need and a food shelter. So I subscribe to it because A, I'm like, woo, there are certain things that I'll just get surprised with that I don't have to shop for. Mm -hmm. And I feel good that I'm contributing to reducing food waste. And it's an environmental thing that I care about. You know, I still eat meat and I love my meat, you know? And so it's just like, well, this is a step I can take. And I'll cook from what's in the fridge and try to reduce leftovers and just things that I personally find meaningful. They're not moral obligations for anyone else. Um, so in my hungry harvest, there was these vegetables and I already had veggies on hand. I want to use up. So on the weekend I'm chopping and sauteing and roasting and mixing. And I'm like, okay, what about flavors? And I'm playing around with all this stuff. And so I had these Brussels sprouts. I just chopped them up. I had sauteed them in like olive oil and salt and pepper and they're in the fridge. And you know, the other day I was like, okay, you know, gosh, you know, I'm really craving, um, you know, like, like I need something to eat, but it's weird. Cause it's like, we're going to have dinner within a couple hours, you know, and you know, but I'm really craving something pasta y, you know, but gosh, I don't really want to eat pasta like right now because we're having dinner soon. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I grabbed these Brussels sprouts and I had this homemade sauce. I added well, let's be real. It was a jarred sauce, but it was homemade <laughs> of a high quality. Um, and, and then what I do for my version of homemade is I add in a can of those um, like plum tomatoes and then super low saute that. So it's like half homemade, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, added that on top, added some cheese, put that in the microwave, and I savored this. And it was so good. And it, it had this sort of like Italian-y taste that I was going for and my sort of pasta craving, but it was also like knowing that I was going to be eating soon and wanted to enjoy that meal. It was, it was kind of like a snack and it was Brussels sprouts. So all in that context, right? So many people could misread that, right? Don't ever eat pasta. It's going to kill you, right? Um, put vegetables in place of pasta mm-hmm. or, well, that sounds diety because, you know, she just didn't really eat pasta. And so there's all this context and it's like diet culture would say, oh, you know, use very little olive oil to saute your Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, use olive oil. Don't use any other oil, right? It's like, I'm going to use the oil I want. I'm going to use how much I want so that it tastes good to cook it in a way that tastes good to me. I am going to use salt in my cooking, right? So I'm already breaking some rules there. But it, there's all this context in, it's like, yeah, in nutrition school, I learned about the value and importance of vegetables. And I have vegetables around in my house and it feels good. I have a fruit bowl and that feels good to me. You know, when we start to get low on grapes, I'll rinse them and stick them in the freezer. And my kids help me make these little freezer bag of frozen grapes. And we love eating them on hot afternoons. We still eat ice cream (laughs) and we Mm -hmm. eat premium ice cream and it's good and nobody's afraid of it. And, And so that's that, you know, piece that I feel like is so missing is like, you can learn about nutrition, you know, and in a way that is actually science-based, right? Fiber, antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, health and well-being, you know, but then it gets hijacked and corrupted by diet culture. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, what I find really disappointing and frankly angers me is a person who's trying to escape the clutches of diet culture might suddenly be afraid to like, buy veggies and fruits and have them around because they're worried. Oh, am I being diety? Am I being restrictive here? And it's just like, I just want to invite everyone over my house. Come on over because you're going to see the peanut butter. You're going to see the Nutella. You're going to see me put Nutella on my kids' bananas and pancakes like almost every day, right? Like you're going to see the, like you're, and, and that is, if you were lucky enough to be raised like that, 
oh, you know, I hope you procreate and raise your kids that way too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But like very, very few people have this trusting, grounded, centered way of making food choices. And I tried to do that in body kindness, really targeting chronic dieters, you know, so like you don't need the rules, your body is fine. But yeah, if, you know, because it was really answering the question, okay, I don't want to diet again, but you know what? I still care about my health. So can you know, you're a nutritionist, you know, you're an exercise expert. Can you guide me in these things that, that aren't diety? And so really it's like, it was based on science, my own life experience. That's why it's kind of part memoir. Um, you know, work with clients and, and that what I would encourage any reader to do is like, well, First thing people say, I read it uh, cover to cover, never did a single exercise, so now I got to go back again and do the exercises. Do the spiral ups, like that is why they are there, because it's a tool to help you reflect and think about what you want in your life. Don't just read the stuff I'm telling you. Read about it to get a a reframe of context, but then you decide in the spiral ups what you really want, and that's how you implement things. and yeah, you know, it, it, it makes me proud to have some kind of tool if you're sitting there of just like the only way I know to be healthy is through diets. That was me. And that's what body kindness is trying to do is silence that inner critic and help you cultivate a caregiver voice that helps you, you know, take what is science based on, you know, exercise and eating and getting good sleep. And I even talk about sex in the book, you know, that is important. I have learned late in the game, but I have learned (laughs) um, the value of, you know, intimacy and nice orgasms and all that. But, um, but it's, it's, so it's, it kind of has this big picture where it's, it's really not even wellness. I like to say it's well-being, um, which means that you value your mental health and your physical health and your physical health is not a number on the scale. It is made up of, you know, what you do and still have a good life that you feel good about. And the truth is, um, people get diseases all the time and no matter what you do. And, you know, bad things happen to good people. People, you know, unfortunately sometimes get a, 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 a disease and they pass away way too soon. You know, we've, we've, we all know somebody. And so this idea that we think that we could kind of cheat death or postpone death or fight it off through food and fitness is really the, one of the most toxic beliefs that we have right now. Um, mm-hmm. I've read some articles where they talk about like, it's a way of dealing with death anxiety. Like we're so into wellness culture because it helps us deal with death anxiety. It's like, if we could just be, you know, we talk about being body positive, we could be death positive too. Like, not that I want this to happen right now, but one day <laughs> I accept that I'm going to die. Okay. And I want to die positively. So what does it mean to live positively? And I think that from a health, mind, body, health standpoint, I think body kindness is the way because you do it for yourself, you do it for your families and your communities, and you choose who you want to be around based on a value system of if this person's going to judge me based on my appearance, then they're not my person. And I'm going to find people who like me just for me. Yeah. Yeah. It is crazy because it is, it has changed like so much since, you know, since I remember when I was young and my mom was on diets and it was like slim fast, weight watchers, blah, blah, blah. But now it's like, oh no, this is a lifestyle change. That's my favorite. This is a lifestyle change. But it's the lifestyle change is when you take all that, if you take all the ice cream out, like you said, or the Nutella and the peanut butter, and you only have vegetables and fruit in your house. And that is, that's taking it too 
literally. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, Mm -hmm. that's going to backfire. And I think, but that no one tells you that. And so like for me, when I first started recovering and I started like realizing, oh, it's okay to eat ice cream, like real ice cream, not Halo Top, not smushed bananas. Mm-hmm. Real ice cream. Smushed bananas. That's hilarious. <laughs> Frozen I'm bananas. so glad I made it out, uh, out by then because you're right. It's, it's quote, and I see other dietitians doing this too, right? This is nice cream. And it's like, look, I get if you have a dairy allergy or just, you know, vegan, right? There's ways, reasons to be vegetarian, vegan. Like I, it's not, I'm not making a blanket judgment, but mm-hmm. come on, when you look at what is promoted, that this nice cream, like you said, mashed frozen bananas and which I put frozen, but I say, you know, about the food waste, right? Banana starts to go bad. I put in the freezer, I put in a smoothie, but yeah, frozen bananas taste good, but like they don't replace ice cream. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's so funny. Oh yeah. And I remember making that and being like, Oh, did I put strawberries in it? And then, but then like a couple months later, I hear, no, you can't eat bananas and strawberries because you, you can't eat sugar. Like sugar is death. And so I'm like, oh no, okay, well now I have. So that's what's constantly happening is like people constantly are jumping on different bandwagons when really we don't need to be on any bandwagons. Like we just need to be, I don't know, aware of, of what we actually want and what we need. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard. So I guess that brings me to intuitive eating. And I think intuitive eating is interesting because I think it's a great thing, but I also – I'm wondering if you think that can kind of become diety, like if that can become obsessive. Like some people are like, oh, wait, I don't know if I'm hungry enough to eat this. Oh, a thousand percent. It happens yeah. all the time. And, and so I studied intuitive eating under Evelyn Triboli, and I know Elise Resch professionally, and I think the world of her, and if anyone lives in their areas where they could get to work with them on their recovery, they'd be lucky to do it. And, um, you know, I really, basically it was nice because I could say there were two lines about intuitive eating and body kindness. Basically, body kindness embraces every everything about intuitive eating. And this is generally why, like it's been studied over 70 sometimes. And these are the three broad principles basically saying, please go read that and do that. And then come back to body kindness. Um, it, you know, and, um, but anyway, the, we've talked about this and they get very upset when intuitive eating is in any way considered a diet. Um, it is not. And I have seen Many people make the mistake, and again, even fellow registered dietitians make the mistake, but understand, unless you're, unless you're truly like health at every size, fully deeply rooted in anti-diet, non-diet, that means you would have done, had to do your own personal work because our schooling does not teach us that. Um, sorry, I'll, I'll just do a little bust there. So <laughs> unless you're firmly an anti-diet and non-diet, our schooling does not teach us that. So it means you would have had to do your own work to really get to a better place. Um, but what I see happen is, first of all, they're just misreading a principle and they'll say, eat only when you're hungry. And I'm just like, there's no only in there. It's honor yeah. your hunger. <laughs> Eat only when you're hungry. Or they'll take honor your hunger and say that. And they'll add words like only. Um, and quite often what usually is the case um, is it's better. And I would say, I'll say this for intuitive eating and body kindness. I would say go through the book. And, if, and, and so intuitive eating, their last chapter is honor your health with gentle nutrition. And for many readers, 
it's a good place to stop and not even read because if you're just going through body or through intuitive eating the first time, practicing all the other principles first in your life is better than going to the nutrition chapter. But again, you have two registered dietitian nutritionists who help people, you know, who have created intuitive eating and, and you know, and help people and eating disorder recovery. They're, they're People are going to want to know, right? Similar to the body kindness problem, like, so what is what is nutrition then? What do I do? And so you have to answer the question in the book. But if you have to read intuitive eating three, four, five, or ten times before you're ready to read the nutrition chapter, do that. And I would just say the same for there's one you know, it's broken up into four parts. So part one is called what you do and it's all about choices. And so there's just a chapter on why we even make choices and why we follow other people and why that's not good. Like, like literally psychology. And then there's choices on like food, fitness, sleep. And so my food stuff kind of comes early on. And so I would say just like, look, skip that chapter, like dip in and out. Or like, if, if you feel like you're someone who struggles with quote, emotional eating, I mean, first, we're emotional creatures. We will always eat emotionally in some way. But if you want to read about the beneficial purpose of emotions um, and including kind of things you can do to kind of curb emotional eating because you're at a point where you want to find other ways to soothe in addition to food, like then there's, there's work on that. Um, but at the end of the day, people can, um, you know, the, the coolest thing to say, uh, is this is not a diet. This is a lifestyle and like, Oh, and you're going to follow this the rest of your life. And when people say that, if they're mentioning intuitive eating at all, I know they still have work to do because they won't really call it a lifestyle. Um, and they won't add in these kind of nonsense words, like eat only when you're hungry or, um, you know, put nutrition first. I mean, they do their job and say, put nutrition last. And here it is at the end of the chapter, but with a physical thing, like a book, you can't possibly tailor it like that. So the, the reader needs to go in and say, you know what, this isn't for me and know that you have full permission to do that. Like, you know, don't give, you know, experts are humans too, right? So don't give us, Oh, everything they say I must be able to do or I'm broken. You are not broken. You were never broken. Diet culture probably messed you up. Mm -hmm. And be mad at the culture, be mad at the culture, not yourself. And you get to choose how you work your way out of this and how you evolve. And you will always be good no matter what. All through the process, you will always be good. In, in, in counseling, I have clients that I get from treatment and they go back to treatment. And there's a whole shame resilience thing we work on. It's about getting your needs met. And you're, you always have worth and value just for being born and your needs will get met. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Cause I, I remember too, when I first started intuitive eating or like when I started learning about it, mm -hmm. I kind of judged myself on it too, because I was like, well, I don't know if I'm right. Like maybe I'm broken and I don't, my, my intuition is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I really think that when you truly like from going through the process, when you truly are in touch with intuitive eating, you're not really like thinking about it anymore. You're not, that's not really like, you're not running around telling everyone, Oh, you should do this because it's a you know, like you said, a lifestyle change, and um, you know, I only eat when I'm hungry and blah blah blah. It's more of like not even an issue anymore, and that's when you know like you're good, you know, when you're not constantly even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, this is this is what I would say is like you've got to put so much trust into the process and and into yourself, even though 
you will inevitably make mistakes. I mean, that is what self-compassion is for. You put your hands on your heart. I got mine on my heart right now. And you take a deep breath and you say, it's okay. You know, that is self-compassion. It's okay to be here right now. It is okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's okay to get better. And um, so I, I mentioned spiral ups earlier, and it's a concept that's throughout the book that is actually grounded in real positive psychology research around um, happiness. And but I love the the metaphor of a spiral. When you open up your journal, draw it looks like a tornado basically, but draw that as a visual memory and think of that for whenever you may need it. Because if you think of a spiral. The more progress you make and you're going up this spiral and you're learning and growing and you're, and you're thinking differently about intuitive eating based on experiences, right? You end up in the same place again, right? Like a spiral hovers over itself, but you see things from a different perspective. So it's like, don't, you know, beat yourself up about, oh, I'm struggling with this thing again. You know, when we, we're constantly in our minds about our bodies and what we're doing, and so we're always going to hear voices and words. So if you're thinking, oh, Rebecca must never think anything negative about her body ever. And so how do I get to that? Well, you would be wrong because mm -hmm. I'm a human being and negative thoughts pop up all the time. I have learned a way to notice them and to acknowledge their presence, but but not engage anymore the same way you would not engage with a bully on the playground because I know those thoughts are thought bullies and they're unhelpful. Um, and it's, it's a, it, and that is the difference, but it's not that negativity never happens or that, um, you know, that I never engage in emotional eating. I, you know, I do, but what I like about it now is it's, it is, I would say it's more intentional emotional eating in a way that it's like, I'm choosing a soothe with food and this feels really good and, I, and, 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 it's, and it's mindful. Um, but I wouldn't say I'm happy at the time. I'm saying, you know what? Yeah, this thing sucked. And, and, and right now what is going to sound really good to me is um, eating some cookie dough. And whereas before it could be this frantic secretive thing maybe, it's more like here's some cookie dough, putting my feet up, and I don't care who sees me. This is fun and yummy and I'm going to take my time with it. And it's just different. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I would, I would kind of caution, caution those sort of perfectionistic tendencies. If you are trying, um, in the book, I call them dead person's goals, right? I'll never eat chocolate cake again. Like mm -hmm. anything in your mind that a dead person can do better than you is a bad, <laughs> bad goal for you. <laughs> so you want to focus your brain on actions you can take. What do I want to do. And, and keep in mind, it's not about feeling. You can't control your feelings either. You want to think about, well, what would I do if I felt that way? So like, um, you know, like you're saying, I want to feel good in my body. Like I want to feel that my body is worthy and I want to feel good. You cannot control that. But imagine, pause and imagine, well, what do you imagine? Someone who feels good in their body, what do they do? What do they do around sleep? What do they do around food? What do they do around, you know, movement? And what do they do for fun? And, and get your mind thinking that way. And that that is how you will actually feel so much better because you're actually taking meaningful action and feeling good with those meaningful actions. And that is what then enhances the positive emotion. And that's basically the secret of spiraling up. Yeah. And so I'm interested to know what you think about, um, so we talked a lot about food and how to kind of balance it and, you know, where, where we should be heading towards or what the goal is. 
But I'm wondering what you think about exercise too, because I know for me, exercise was a huge problem, like probably even more than food. Um, so, but I struggled because kind of like how you said before, people that are trying to be, get off the diet bandwagon or like, well, I'm not eating vegetables anymore because that's diety. Yeah. That's how I thought I had to be with fitness. So I was like, well, then I'm not going to exercise because that's bad. But exercising isn't bad. So it's hard. That was the hardest thing for me to like balance out um, because it was kind of like an all or nothing thing for me before. So Mm -hmm. I'm interested, like, how do you, what are your tips or like, what do you think that people can do to kind of balance a healthy amount of exercise without, without going overboard? Yeah. So the first thing that I want to say before I answer your question is take as long of a break as you need from certain things. Because the reality is you have been through some type of traumatic experience around food, movement, and your body. Mm -hmm. And um, while we can hold space for the knowledge that Movement is good for health and wellness, generally speaking, right? Then we got to go to that tailoring part. It's like, well, you know, the way I'm using exercise, it's for punishment. I'm using, you know, I'm doing some overtraining. And so there are some things about the exercise where it's no longer helpful for me, whether it's a way of purging, whether it's a way of, you know, earning a meal, whether, you know, but just some sort of form of negativity, take as as long of a break as you need from it because, you know, even just basic walking, you know, walking is good for you. So just as you move through the world, your body will be getting some amount of movement. And that way you can put your mental energy into reframing exercise in a way that is more meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, I think the next tip that I would say is, can you try to come up with five to 10 ideas of not doing the things that caused you trouble before, put that on the back burner. And instead think about like, if there were no other benefits except for the fun of it, what, what would I do? And, you know, it could be, well, I would like to try something different, like trapeze, yoga, aerial stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you find a friend and make a date out of going to do something like that. And so you're enjoying the experience. Um, You have a friend as a support, a friend as a distraction. You're enjoying this moment of being in your body and experiencing and learning something new. So your mind is distracted from things that may be negativity that may have come up from before. Um, You know, and, you know, budget wise, I would say, how about looking at some restorative type yoga videos that are free on YouTube, or you can even rent videos from your library that might be more grounded in meditation and mindfulness and just kind of have that sort of kindness connect to your body element of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then a third area is, is think about, um, think about something that where you, it's kind of like you do one thing mindfully and the other thing mindlessly. So for example, um, what about if you had some other audiobooks that you would want to listen to for fun? And so you are going to choose to walk because it's a way for you to get your mind into an audiobook and still move your body and get that movement in, but not in a way where you're kind of like 
hammering out some sort of intensity. And if you can be by nature, it's amazing because it's called forest bathing and it, it actually opens us up and makes us feel connected. And um, we can even experience this emotion, um, awe, like this positive emotion of wonder that we don't always experience. Um, but try to make it more about an experience. That's where I would start. Yeah, that helped me a lot. Walking outside, mm-hmm. walking and just kind of like taking a break for a while and walking. I would walk my dog. I would listen to a podcast or, and that was really, really, really helpful um, with like kind of reframing. So I do want to ask you something else before we run out of time. This is kind of changing gears, okay. but this is something I think is super interesting and I'm still kind of learning about this. So, and I've heard you talk about it before. Um, and you mentioned earlier too, like the word fat being bad. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot of podcasts about this, like, you know, we shouldn't stigmatize the word fat and all. And, and I think that's true, but for people that have thin privilege that are thin and I am one of them, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I've struggled obviously, but I have thin privilege. So I don't think that should demean anyone's struggle obviously, but at the same time, how do you think that like, what do you think that people that maybe have thin privilege can do to sort of include everyone into it and, and, and also like making the word fat, not a bad thing anymore. You know, that's a, it's a hard thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot, I think that first I want to bring up the word ally. And so that if you're someone with thin privilege, then your job is more to be an ally to a person who identifies as fat or higher weight. Mm -hmm. Um, and know that unless you are doing the allyship with the support of someone who's at a higher weight, or you're in, in a community where people, um, know what you're about and trust what you're about. If they hear someone within privilege using the word fat, they would have every reason to believe that it was in a negative and it was not in, in an ally way. Right, right. Not to scare you away from using it. It's, it's the idea to know that we need to center fat people's voices, right? And we, as an ally, we need to, 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 ask them, how can I help get your message across? So it could be that you, um, fought, there's, there's, there's great higher weight people, men, women, transgender, gender fluid on social media. Maybe a step is following them and boosting your own feed, reading and learning from them, but sharing their stuff communicating and saying, Hey, you know, this article you wrote was really inspirational. It's really helping me. So I think part of your allyship is listening and learning and growing and then finding ways where you can perform allyship. Um, and so I think you're being an ally by asking me this question on the podcast, right? And then people are going to listen and hopefully they clean up their feeds, right? Or um, Yeah, well, it was just something, it's something that I was really nervous about, honestly, yeah. because I was like, how can I start a podcast about this? Like people are going to think I'm, <laughs> they're going to be like, what, you don't even know what struggling is. Yeah. And I understand, like, I don't understand because I've never, you know, I, I don't understand, but I do understand. I do understand that side of it. So mm-hmm. it's like, I want everyone, I don't, you know, I kind of just want everyone to be helping each other so that it's not like, because that's the whole problem is that we, we have this word fat or skinny or whatever. And we're, we're like basing 
worth off of that. And that shouldn't be like, it should just be a descriptive word. It shouldn't be your moral value, you know? Exactly. And, and that's in what I was saying earlier with that, this is really an issue of making sure that we're all doing our job to eradicate fat phobia. And so like in my house and raising my girls, you know, um, both separately, but at similar ages between three and four would like rub their bellies and like my belly is fat. And it was in the most cutest, most playful way. And I was, Oh, you're noticing your belly. You know, this is very cute. Yeah. I love your belly. You know, here's mommy's belly and honey, I heard you use the word fat and you know there's nothing wrong with fat and it was just a kind I mean they're young and it wasn't in a negative tone and so that's why the approach was that pro- approach but anyone who thinks that the response would be what fat you're not fat that's someone who has work to do because they don't understand that the better thing to do would to ask the question wait a minute what's wrong with fat you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and it, look, I mean, I've made so many mistakes in this area. So it's important you ask the question, keep learning and growing, um, have fat guests on your podcast, whether eating disorder or not. Um, I'm happy to help make connections mm-hmm. and just say, I'm here to learn. I'm here to help my listeners learn. Um, and, and that it's part of the journey, you know, so me being a guest and talking about it with you is a journey of allyship where I'm also helping to promote, like we, we need to hear from more for more people who have the lived experience at a higher weight so that others can, um, others can learn from them rather than me speaking for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And essentially like it's kind of taking the, I mean, we, the, the goal is to take the, the badness out of the word fat. You know, it's like you grow up, like even your, you know, your little, your little girl said, Oh, my belly's fat. And I remember if I had said something like that, someone would have been like, oh, don't say that. Don't say that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, it, it, it can be a long process, um, but it, it's an important one because what we're talking about is fighting weight stigma, and we need to support those who are working to reclaim the word. Um, and we should ask people, um, you know, say, I, I, I um, respect you and I care deeply about you. Can you give me um, some guidance on the language you'd like me to use, um, mm-hmm. you know, with you? And, and that's something I do with clients as well. Yeah. And I think eventually it will just, hopefully, <laughs> it will end up helping everyone for no matter what body size, because it's kind of like, I mean, I don't think, I don't, I hope, but I don't know if we'll ever get to a world where nobody cares about body size at all. Um, but it would help just to take that scariness away from it kind of to help anyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. I just wanted to ask about that because I've heard you talk about it before. And I think that's, that's something that's like, I'm kind of newer in and I've been listening to um, that I've been listening to and trying to learn more about. And I think it's, I think it's important and it's also an important part of anyone's recovery to just kind of like, well, why do I think this is such a bad thing? You know? What, like what has told me that and how can I change that and how can I help other people change that? Yeah. So that's, that's good. Thank you for, yeah. for that. Uh, keep for, on keeping on for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. So we are towards the end and I do, I know you talked about your book, um, body kindness kind of in and out throughout the interview. Mm-hmm. I do want to kind of, I guess if you could just explain it in like a couple words and or a couple sentences and wh- who it's for, who it can benefit. Yeah, I and think where like where we can find it. 
Sure. So it's available everywhere books are sold. Um, and it's really for somebody who wants to build um, a better connection to themselves and heal their relationship with themselves. Um, so it's the tagline, uh, the subtitles, transform your health from the inside out and never say diet again. So it is about focusing on your health and well-being, um, but at any size, no dieting whatsoever. And it's about connecting to who you are and the kind of life that you want to live um, that, that, that is, um, you know, related to your values. Um, and yeah, and then my website, bodykindnessbook.com is a good place to go for all things me and website. Perfect. Okay. So, and can, how can we keep in touch with you besides the website and the book? Do you have like social media? How can everyone find you? Yes, it is. Um, on Instagram, it's Rebecca Scritchfield. And on Facebook, I have a page called Body Kindness with Rebecca Scritchfield. Um, and there's a free course on my website, a free Body Kindness mini e-course, and you'll even get it the first chapter um, to see if it's for you. And if you go to bodykindnessbook.com and click get started, you'll see it there. Awesome. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I'll link all that in the show notes. Um, I really, really, really appreciate you being on here. I really do appreciate you taking the time. It's so helpful. And thank you so much for your work and everything you're doing. And thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It was wonderful to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Okay.